And so I just want to take this time. Um, first, I, for, I want to apologize first for two things. Uh, one, I want to apologize to you as your pastor for always running in the red. Like always just, uh, somebody uh, asked a question the other night. We were at a dinner and it was like, describe yourself in one word. And the only thing that I could come up with was, um, what was it? I came up, what was that word I, I used? Um, how did I describe myself the other night? High strung. I said, I'm high strung. And I, and I operate in that. Like, and to an extent, that's, that's where I live and that's where I thrive in, in that. I, a little bit of chaos, I'm good, you know? Um, it's not always good. So I've, I've hit zero before doing that, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm apologizing to you for that. Uh, but I'm also apologizing to you for indirectly expecting you to do the same thing, right? Leading by examples, let's go, go, go. Let's go in nine different directions. Uh, and because all of you and all of us, we have a heart to serve and, and a heart to, to make a difference, um, we just go along with it, right? And so I, I want to just kind of lead out with that because here's the deal. It's completely possible for us to serve Jesus at the expense of knowing Jesus, like we can work and serve and do, and the more we do and the more we work and the more we serve, the, the less we know Jesus, right? And that, so it's perfectly possible for that, and I'm going to tell you this. For me, for us as a leadership team, for us as, as pastors over you, uh, we want you to know Jesus more than we want you serving Jesus. We want you to be with Jesus. We want you to know him. We don't want you to just do. We want you to be. Right, just exist with Him, be in Him, and rest in Him, um, and so that's what it means. This idea of Sabbath, right? This idea of Sabbath is to to really just to stop and, and remember, just to t- kind of take a rest. And and we've kind of talked about this a little bit uh, during the Advent season. It's not just like taking some time off, right? Like stopping and just kind of Sabbathing is not a, a, a means of just like, I'm just going to take off of work. I'm going to stop doing something. It's, it's a gift. Like a, the Sabbath, uh, it, it's to protect us like from our habits, right? We have these habits and we have these routines and we have these, like, like I tell you, like I operate in red and, and I need to Sabbath at times. I need to stop and, and rest at times so that I don't think that I'm in control of everything. And that's a gift that God's given us to be able to do that. It's a time where you stop and you allow God to have complete access to your heart. Stop trying to do and and stop trying to hold the world up on your shoulders and allow God to have some access to your heart. And that's really why he's given that to us as a gift so that we so that we can stop and and let him um, see our hearts and be um, speak into our hearts. And so, you know, this idea of resting, uh, of kind of just tapping the brakes, pulling the reins back. I just really want us to remember who we belong to. Like, that's the main thing. Like, God, I want you to give access to my heart because I want, you, I, want to rem, I want to be reminded of whose I am. Like, who do I belong to? And I belong to you. He's our Father. And, and to be honest with you, a, a lot of times when we are running and hitting and going and moving um, and, and we're, we're running into anxiety and depression and darkness and, and, and these, just these dark places where we just, that's where we run to when we carry all of this, right? That's where we go. And, and we do that because we don't trust God. And so he gives us a gift of being able to stop and say, you need to trust me that I got this, right? I got this. You don't do anything. I have this all. Now, I want to I just, for those of you who were at, com- at the conference yesterday, um, I want you to know that everything that I'm telling you right now, I just kind of had it on a list that I wanted to say Thursday, 
I had it on my list on Thursday or Friday. And so I'm sitting there yesterday at conference like, I think she got my notes, man. I think she got my list from somewhere because she's saying everything that's been on my heart and everything that I've kind of shared with our, our leaders, you know, and just kind of where we wanted to steer this thing. Um, and so the idea is that we don't rest on our own abilities and our own talents. Like that's not, we, we serve a king who makes the difference. We serve a king who brings about renewal and, and we just kind of get to jump in there and be a part of the story. So what I want to do, I'm saying all of this because what I want us to do is maybe just kind of stop for a minute and just have a time of prayer, like personal prayer. Um, and, and I'll kind of help kind of guide that direction. But if you would, however you need to posture yourself to pray, I want to invite you to do that. If it's just sitting in your chair, that's fine. If you need to go find a quiet spot to get, if you need to get on your knees, whatever, uh, however you need to posture yourself, I want us to just take a little bit of time uh, to pray. So if you would, um, would you close your eyes and, and bow your heads? And I'll kind of guide our time. And what I want us to do first is, um, as we pray, is to recall who God is. To us, who recall who God is that we see in Scripture and tell Him that. Tell Him who you recall Him as. you to take a moment and just examine the areas of your life where you don't think you're trusting him to manage. What, what are those places, what are those things that you're not trusting him to manage right now and that you're trying to take control of and that you're trying to do? Is it fear? Or is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it anger over a situation? Is it an issue of obedience? Do you have a grudge against somebody? Are you giving yourself over to sin? Have you isolated yourself from important and helpful relationships? I want you to reflect on those and confess those to him. Father, protect us from our habits and our rhythms that don't glorify and honor you. Protect us from those habits that, um, that exalt us over you. Father, would you remove anything you want so that you have complete access to our hearts this morning?
God, remind us that we belong to you and teach us to fully and wholly trust you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Just as I, as I listened to David last week, the sermon, I just could not get away from Psalm 23. Could not get away from it. And, and as I thought through this week, and we, we discussed that about just... Uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Father, would you please make us lay down and green? Like, we don't have control, right? You make us do. You're our great shepherd. You're our good shepherd, and you're our king. And so we're right in the middle of that. If, you're, uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 10. That's where we are. We're going um, to continue on where we left off last week. We're in verse 22. We stopped in verse 21. And now we're in verse 22, and the Bible's kind of funny, because it's been about two to three months in between verse 21 and verse 22. We've spent from chapters, oh, I don't know, um, seven, chapter seven to chapter 10, and kind of one week of conversations. Uh, And it has been an ongoing conversation just about, like from day to day to day. And then in verse 21, moving to verse 22, there's there's been some time been a period about two to three months. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles where we picked up in chapter seven. Uh, and we've been watching Jesus kind of interrupt the celebration and kind of really point, point out to, to the religious leaders as well as his disciples who he is. He's really starting to become bold in his conversations um, and really kind of saying, okay, here's who I am, guys. Uh, you know, and we're really going to kind of get into the, to the meat of it today about how he's just going to really... Just drive a line between one side and the other. And so we're now at the Feast of Dedication, uh, which we know of as today as Hanukkah. Uh, if you looked on your calendar, if you know the, uh, the Jewish calendar, you'll know that that's, that's Hanukkah, and, and it happens in the wintertime uh, around December. Uh, and, and this isn't, the Feast of Dedication isn't prescribed in the Old Testament like the Feast of Tabernacles was. This was something that happened about 164 uh, B.C., so not long before Christ was born, right? Um, he, there, there was uh, um, uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem had been profaned by this, uh, this Hellenistic Greek leader um, who, who when, he, when they came in and they, he tried to kind of mesh the cultures together, the, the Greek and Jewish cultures together. One of the things that happened out of that is the temple was profaned, the altar was torn down, and a, and a pagan altar was put in its place. That was, about, that was about a period of about nine years that this guy kind of ruled. 
uh, and, and things weren't good. Uh, and there was a revolt that happened. The Jewish people revolted and overthrew this leader. Uh, and, and that happened in 164 BC. And what, what took place as a, as a result of that, as they overthrew this king and ran out these people, uh, is that they rededicated the temple. They, they, pur- they repurified the temple and they set up the, the altar of, of the God of Israel. They, they, they reset that. And so John inserts verse 22 where it says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. And it was winter, and Jesus was walking into the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So he inserts those verses there to say, okay, time's changing. We've been talking Feast of Tabernacles. Now we're on Feast of Dedication. So he's just really kind of putting a chronological marker there. It's his way of kind of just moving the story along, moving the narrative along. And so he says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is what the whole message was about last week, right? They know my voice, and they hear me. They follow me. They come out of the, they come out of the sheepfold when they hear their shepherd's voice. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, you'd think that after Jesus said this, that there would be some clapping, there would be some cheering that would break out, a celebration, bust out the wine. Man, he just now made, he just made a huge promise that's really, really, sounds really, really good to me, right? To us, that should be good news, right? But you see the response in verse 31. It says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. That was their response to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'll give you eternal life. You will never perish, and I will hold you in my hands, and no one will ever take you from me. And their response was to stone him. What's going on? Like they were furious. And, and here's the deal. And if we today understand Jesus and his claims in this context, all of us would have an aggressive response. And that's where we're headed today. Every one of us would have an aggressive response. We would either get angry, we would either pick up stones to stone him, or we would become overjoyed. And that's the two responses. Jesus is just continuing to kind of drive the, drive the wedge in and separate, saying it's either one or the other. And so no response. Let me just say this. If, if you read that and you're just like, okay, you're not hearing Jesus. And that's what he's trying to say. My sheep know my voice and they hear my voice. And he doesn't leave any room just to kind of be flipping about it. And so why would someone get that angry? Over that news, why would someone become so enraged over what Jesus said? Why would someone consider Jesus unworthy to exist? Like, think about the, the, think about the gravity of what they're trying to do. They want him dead. And they want him dead in a way that where they don't even want to put their hands on him. They're going to stone him so that they don't have to touch him. That's how much they despise him. What would bring someone to consider Jesus that unworthy to exist just because he spoke these words, just because he said these things. I believe it is because we, all, all of us, every one of us, stand to lose something when Jesus takes over. 
We all stand to lose something. The threat of losing something makes us very, very upset, right? Like that's the big, that's the big struggle about following Jesus is like he's asking something from you. You're going to have to put something down. You're going to have to lose something. And we're not okay with that. Like we don't, we're not okay with that. What, what are some things that we lose? How about our expectation, right? Many of us have stories of what this should have looked like or what this should look like or where this should go or how this should be, right? We have these expectations uh, uh, and they become a threat now whenever we, whenever we uh, want to put our, our faith in Jesus, right? It becomes a threat to us now, like control of the future we had planned, right? I mean, me and Ashley can tell you story after story after story about, man, I don't even know what our future is and we're not even worried about that anymore because it just, it really, it just... <laughs> Jesus, you have it. Like, you have it. Control of the life that we'd hoped for, who we would marry, where we would live, where we would settle, where I would work, who I would be. Like, all of those things, Jesus might very well ask you of those things. You might have to lose those expectations to follow Jesus. And, and most of us, we're not okay with that. Naturally, we're just not cool with that. But what strikes me as funny and is something that we've kind of learned um, as we try to follow Jesus is that these things aren't really, they're not a reality. Like, think about it. They don't exist. They're in, they're in some block of time that, that we haven't even arrived at yet. But that's the kind of stuff that keeps us up at night. That's the kind of stuff that we worry over and, and just groan over and have anxiety about is what's going to happen in a place and a time that doesn't even exist yet. And we try to control all of that and we have expectations about that. And, and honestly, it doesn't even exist. And that's how we need to approach that. Jesus has given us today. Today exists. Right now exists. Opportunities exist now. We're not promised tomorrow. And even if we're promised tomorrow, we're not promised that it'll look the way we want it to look. If we're being real and if we're really trying to be obedient and follow Jesus, it could very well look totally different than what you want it to be. And so our expectations are threatened when, we, when Jesus kind of throws that out there, right? Then, that, that when he takes over, that's one thing that w- might cost us. Losing control, right? That's kind of along the same lines. That's another thing that becomes threatened, Here's the deal. If, if, we, if we aren't open to our lives being a blank canvas for God to write whatever story he wants, then Jesus is going to become a threat to us. If we're not okay to say, I, I have all these things and these plans and, and these expectations, and, and I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to move all of the controls and wiggle all the knobs to try to get me in that direction and try to move us along in that place. If you're not willing to walk away from that and say, Jesus, you write whatever story you want. It's it's just a blank piece of paper. Write your story. If you're not willing to go there, then Jesus is going to be threatening to you. He's going to threaten that part of your life. Our morality comes under threat. Right? Like some of us wear our little badge, our little morality badge, right? Where we get a a merit for, for good behavior. And we walk around toting that thing around like that's something. I'm, I'm, I'm good, right? 
The gospel smashes the idea that I could look at anybody else and say, well, I'm better than them. Right? The gospel just kills that idea altogether. And so our morality, our good behavior, our self-righteousness, all of that comes under threat when we want to turn the controls over to Jesus, when we want him to take over. And here's the deal. Let me just say this, and I know this might be obvious, but it is hard to receive Jesus' words with a self-exalting, self-righteous heart. It's hard to receive. You might not even get to hear Jesus, or you might just sit there and it just these words pass you by because of a self-exalting, self-righteous heart. It's hard to hear Jesus in those moments. And it's, hey, it's a painful thing to lose superiority. It's a painful thing, right, to step down into the human race just as another person in need of God's grace. It's a painful thing to do that. If we've got ourselves up on this pedestal where we think we're here and everybody else is here or, or this group of people here and that group of people's there, it's a painful thing, thing to take that step down. And that's the threat that Jesus poses. And it's a threat because he hasn't, he hasn't come to be your lifestyle coach. He hasn't come to give you three great ways to have a, have a wonderful life. He has come to be your king. And that's what he's, that's what he's setting up here. In verse 24, it says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Another obvious thing, but I'm gonna, I think we should probably state and spend some time. Did you know that Christ isn't Jesus' last name? not Jesus Christ, but we kind of treat it that way, right? We refer to him as our first, uh, first last name basis. And, and I think we need to spend some time here because we need to know that Christ is a, is a title. Like it's Jesus the Christ. We need to know if you're the Christ. It means Messiah. It means the one coming to redeem and save the king who's going to come usher in this new kingdom and overthrow all the tyranny and all the bad kings and all the ways that people have oppressed. He's coming to root all of that out. He's the Christ. And all these references, Christ, Messiah, these, these, are, these are all the same reality. Jesus is the king who was promised in the Old Testament. When we read through the Old Testament and God's going to give us a king, he's going to give us a Messiah to come. That's Jesus who is sent into the world by God, into this, into this broken world, anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit to usher in eternal life. Life forever. Life abundantly. The Christ is the one who would come and make all the sad things come untrue. All, all the broken things fixed, repaired. And up to this point, the, the world was under tyrants and, and kings who oppressed us and, and, and they treated us with injustice. But the Christ would come. The promise through the Old Testament is that the Christ would come and he's going to usher in some welcome change. Man, he, he's coming with some welcome change and he's going to push these rulers out He's going to root these rules out. He's going to bring in peace, and he's going to bring in trust, and he's going to treat us with gentleness and with kindness. He's not going to treat us the way all these other kings have been treating us, and he's not going to oppress us, and he's not going to try to, try to manipulate 
in a way that, that feeds his own self-ego. He's not about that. He's a king who loves us. He's a king who's going to be gentle with us and, and usher in peace. And this world, the world we live in today, the world that we're reading about in, in this, this time in history is in such great need of this kind of shepherd. We need this kind of shepherd. One who will care for us, who will defend us against the enemy and against ravenous wolves who might come in looking like they're a shepherd. We need this kind of shepherd in our world. And, and we need a, a shepherd who, who will not, cannot be overthrown. Whose rule is established forever. All-powerful. No one can overthrow him. And you can have Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, your king. If you don't mind losing your expectations, if you don't mind giving up control, don't know what tomorrow brings, don't know what next week, month, year brings, but it's whatever. I'm a blank slate. Write your story. And I don't even mind thinking that I'm so, uh, stop, to stop thinking that I'm so awesome. To come down a little bit, lose superiority, lose self-righteousness, lose self-exaltation. You can have that kind of king, but that's what you're trading in. That's what you're giving up. How threatening is that, right? Because I, I hope that you're not just sitting there thinking, yeah, they, they act that way and they do that. I hope you see this, that we struggle with this as, as humanity. That we want control over everything and we want to be at the top and we want to have superiority over everything. We want to have control over everything. So every single one of us struggle with this. And what I'm trying to tell you is that if you want Jesus, you have to trade those things in. You have to give them up. And that's a threat to us. And these things that might seem like they're a treasure to you, these things that you're holding on to that we're referring to, can be traded in for such a greater treasure. Right, go and sell everything you have so that you can have that one piece of treasure because it's greater than all the other treasures. Why would I ask you to consider that? Why would Jesus ask you to consider that? To consider laying it all down, trading it all in, and you can come be in my kingdom. He answers it in verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. That's why it's worth trading in. That's why it's worth laying it down. I give them eternal life. Let me ask you a question. What were your expectations when you come here this morning? Like what, what drove you here? Think about it. Consider what got you up out of the bed this morning. What put you in the vehicle this morning to drive over here to sit in this room and to worship with these people? What drove you here today? Was it because, you know what, you just had a crazy week and you just really needed some reviving? You just needed a little bit of refreshment poured into you to be uplifted from a crazy week? You just need encouragement from a church family? People that you love, your brothers and sisters, you just need some encouragement? One of the things that I always pray for over this group and for myself is that you just need to hear from God. Do you, need to, do you feel a touch from God today? Do you need healing? Do you need rest? What'd you come for? Think of all the things. Make your list, and you can even prioritize them from the greatest need that I came for to the least need that I came for. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus gives more than you could ever expect. More than you ever came for, Jesus 
gives you that. I'm glad you came, and I hope you receive whatever is on your list, however you came, whatever you need in your heart and in your soul. I pray that you receive that today. But here's the deal. Jesus, he's going to top it. He's able to top it. Anything you had in mind, he gives more than what you came for, and that is eternal life. There's nothing, there's nothing that goes to the, to the higher line of our list than that right there, right? Eternal life. He said, I give them eternal life. And I just want you to remember back last week in verse 10, right? It said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, more than they would ever need, more than they would ever be able to hold on to and store away. It's just going to be an overflowing spring of life. That's what I came for. And now verse 28 can be understood as to say, I am giving them eternal life even now. Right? So we always like to think Jesus came and gave. No, Jesus is here and he is giving eternal life. That's how we interpret verse 28 in its rawest form. I am giving them eternal life even right now. And so you remember what John said about Jesus whenever we first opened up the gospel of John. He said, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, more and more and more to the full. Right? That's what he's come to give us. He overflows with fullness for exhausted, weary, tired sinners. He gives us and gives us and gives to us and gives and gives and gives and continues to give. So I hope you receive what you came for today, but I hope that you receive what Jesus can give you. I hope that you can receive eternal life. And it is his nature to give life to a point of surplus, right? To where we have more life than we can possibly need. I come so that they could have eternal life and they will never perish. So let's reinforce for a second what eternal life means. Eternal life means they will never perish. And eternal life doesn't start at your funeral. It doesn't start when this life here on earth has passed away. Eternal life started the minute that Jesus gave you a new heart. That's when eternal life starts. So guess what? We're alive forever. If you're in Christ today, you are living in the midst of eternal life, forever. And there is, to, to, to kind of break that translation down in its rawest form, there is no way they will ever perish. That's a raw way to just say that. And this is a real concern for many, um, a fear and a worry that my work and my unfaithfulness just really won't get me to the finish line. Right? That was, okay, and so some of us, you might be holding back today, right? You might be, uh, I don't know, that very reason, I'm going to, I don't have enough faith to get there, like, to, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get, that was my story, right? So my story was, um, I sat a, among the gospel being poured out for about a year. The church we were in, the building we were in, two-thirds to the back, weekly. I wasn't even a believer. And I know you can do that, but you can actually claim a seat in a Baptist church without even being a believer. And so I had mine, right? I had my, my spot. And I was there. And I didn't even believe in Jesus. Didn't even have any faith in Jesus at all. But I was there for a year. Gospel, gospel, gospel. But it was only in the context of community that I considered the gospel. 
right? And that the year that I was there, I'm just like, I can't do it. I hear what, I hear what Jesus is asking from me. I can't do it. I hear what he's wanting me to trade in. I'm not willing to trade it in. I'm not going to make it. I don't have enough faith. I can't work hard enough to get to the finish line. So Jesus was very, very square dealing with me. I knew the cost. And here's what I'll say today. Jesus did not and he has not failed me. Not one bit. Never has he, done, has he failed me. And I also knew that he spoke into my fears with a firm assurance, right? With a firm assurance. Blake, listen, man, you're coming with me. <laughs> right? When that moment came, Blake, you're coming with me. It wasn't, hey, man, do you, you, you want to maybe accept me into your heart type thing? It was, Blake, you're coming with me. We'll, do, we'll work out the details later. But, you, but you're coming with me. And here's the deal. When we start heading out, you will never perish. This is it for you. This is life abundantly forever and ever and ever to a point where you can't even contain it all. So you're coming with me. And so if the gospel isn't, if it's like, if it's good news right now, but it's not good news for down the road, then it's not gospel at all, right? If it only means something to me now and and not later in eternity, like it's not going to carry me to the finish line, then it's no gospel at all. And we have no reason to take Jesus seriously at that point. We don't. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is the only, if this is it. But Jesus says, I come to give eternal life and they will never perish. You will never perish. So I'm turning 40 this year. And I've had conversations with some of you about that. I'm not super stoked about turning 40 this year, right? But it's not the end. It's not a tragedy. It's not a crisis. Because I'm just 40 in eternity. Right? I'm 40 here. But I'm, I'm, I'm with the king now. I'm, I'm living in eternity and I will never perish. So it means then, and this is why I share this, and that's why I want to remind you that you are in eternity now if you're in Christ, is that now I'm free to take some risk. Now I am free to obey the hard things that Jesus asked me to do. Right now, I'm free to do those things. And ultimately, I have nothing to fear. And so you hear me talk about this often, man. One of the things that aggravates me the most is to see someone who, who follows Jesus and has fear about silliness. Like, like eternity is not in your hands and that John isn't true where he says, you will never perish, you will never die. No matter what happens, you're never going to die. Yet we walk around in fear like, oh no, I can't do that. Do this and block this off and build that and push these people out because we're all scared. Brothers and sisters, ultimately there is nothing to fear but God himself. And we're his. And we will never perish. And if that doesn't, if that, if those two things that I give them eternal life and they will never perish, if that doesn't make the gospel airtight enough for you, Jesus is going to just kind of seal the bag up here in the next part where he says, no one will snatch them from my hands. Reinforcement again, right? 
Eternal life means that you will never perish, nor can anything or anyone snatch you from his hands. He has us. The gospel isn't just good news for later either, right? So you see how now he flips it, right? Yeah, gospel is good news for now, but will it get me to eternity? But the gospel is also not just about eternity. It's about right now. They will, they will, no one will ever take them from my hands. And so the reason that our hope in Jesus cannot be unraveled is, is not because of anything we're doing or not anything that we can work to do or, or, or create or do anything. The reason that, that our hope can't be unraveled in Jesus is because of what he is doing himself. He's got us. He's holding us. I want you to just recall John chapter 6 when we were there. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never be cast out. I will never cast them out. He has us. And I just remember when we were, when we were chapter 6 in that section, you know, you can't work your way into grace, and you can't send your way out of it. When Jesus has you, he has you forever, never to perish, eternal life. There's no way to work my way into salvation on my own. There's no way. Jesus has to give that to me. And let me tell you something. If there was a way that I could forfeit my salvation, I would have already done it. I would have already done it. If there was a way, if there was a sin that I could do that would forfeit my salvation, I've done it. But that's not, that's not true. There's no sin that exists that's going to take me from the Father's hand. He has me, and he will never let me go. It is by grace alone that I've been saved through faith in Jesus alone. And it wasn't my own doing. It was a gift from God, not as a result of anything that I was able to do, so that I have nothing to boast in at all. Jesus has to give that to me, and Jesus has to sustain me in that. And he tells us how we're able to do this or how he's able to pull this off. In verse 29, he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Pick up your stones. Right? That's, that's the part where we're supposed to get extremely offended, pick up our stones, and throw them. You mean to tell me you're God? You and God are one? Y'all are equal? And we won't, we won't get all the way through the text today, but you just see this dialogue. Jesus, like, guys, I've been saying this. Like, I've been saying this. And if, and if my words don't mean anything, look at the works that I've done. If you don't believe in me, believe in the works that I've done. Tell me if they're not from the Father. Tell me if they don't usher in this kingdom of healing and, and just repair of brokenness. That's my Father. And that's the work that I came to do. And so Jesus, he just really blasts all the way past the question of, are you the Messiah or not? Tell us plainly. Like his answer was, I mean, the father, we're one. <laughs> he just goes way past that. Offensive is what he is. And he, he says, I give eternal life and, and I hold you in my grip. And when you are in my grip, you are in my father's grip. And nothing's going to take you away. Nothing's going nothing's to pluck you away because we are one, the Father and I. So, I'm just going to close with this. Let there be no misunderstanding about who Jesus is. This is what he's doing in this moment. There's not to be any misunderstanding about who 
Jesus is. I've shared this quote with you guys before. For those of you who may have not heard it, I hope you're encouraged by it. It's not scripture. It's something that C.S. Lewis wrote um, that just is so fitting in these texts. C.S. Lewis writes this in the book Mere Christianity. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people say often say, who often say about him, speaking about Jesus. That they would say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's a foolish thing to say. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Right? A guy who says, me and the Father are one. He's not a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man, man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. There's no middle ground. Uh, I'll think about it. I'll think about whether Jesus is Messiah or not. I'll think about if he's one with God or not. The, the response should be an aggressive response. Overjoy or outrage. That's the response. And so, what's your response? Like, think about this. Are you just kind of, hmm, okay. He is no less the very Son of God sent from heaven to reconcile mankind to God through the cross and through the grave, through the work that he did on Calvary. And there's no option for a passive response to his claim. Like, that's what C.S. Lewis was trying to write. He's trying to say, look, there's no way to respond passively. You have to, you have to be one way or the other. There's no room, there's no middle ground there. And this isn't something that just C.S. Lewis wrote about. Jesus wrote about it too. In Luke chapter 12, he says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I don't have to interpret that and break that down for you. Some of you live in that reality. That you live in a home or in a family where you're here and they're there. A house divided, right? It's not news. Like Jesus said, this is how it's coming down. And he says the response is, follow me or not. But don't just kind of, you're not, there's no room to be on the fence. So I'll close with this. You either pick up stones and throw at him. That's the challenge today. You pick up a stone and you throw it at him, or you abandon everything and you follow Jesus. What's it going to be? Let's pray.